How's your pelvic floor health? That's what we're talking about today on the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 294. I have the wonderful Dr. Danielle Bailey joining me today to talk all about the pelvic floor. Now, a lot of people think, oh, pelvic floors for people who've just had a baby or old people to worry about. It's for everyone to worry about. And Danielle, in her practice over the years, has seen men and women, young and old, of all walks, races, everything you could possibly imagine as a human variation, she has seated in her practice with a pelvic floor problem. So this could be uh, frequent uh, bathroom breaks. It could be tailbone pain. It could be leakage when you jump or sneeze or laugh or cry or play your favorite sport. It could be pain during sex. It could be constipation. Uh, she's helped a lot of people in this area, specifically around pregnancy and postpartum, but across the whole gamut of issues. So it's going to be a great show. Her practice, if you're lucky enough to be able to go in person, is in Plano, Texas in the US. Uh, So I'll hook into that conversation in just a little minute. Uh, I have two wonderful show sponsors, as I do every week. It is unable to be done, this podcast, without our sponsors. Plus, you guys get to try things and make it a little lighter on the pocket. Our first is our major sponsor. All year round this year, you have 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE from Oz Climate's amazing dehumidifiers and air purifiers. Uh, They are fully stocked again in their dehumidifiers, which is great news. I know during the floods earlier this year, a lot of Aussies missed out on that um, or were on wait lists. So you can now go and shop the range. Uh, And of course, air purification spring is just around the corner and a lot of people have hay fever allergies, start arcing up around pollens, asthma gets exacerbated, hives get exacerbated. Um, and if you're living somewhere rural near agricultural chemicals or on a main intersection in a city, there's no way you should not have a high quality air filter. So please check out their air filters and, and dehumidifiers. You've heard me speak about both types of appliances many times before. I'm a huge proponent for both for healthy indoor air uh, from the filtration perspective, but also from discouraging mold growth from the dehumidification perspective. If you live somewhere in a humid climate, if it rains a lot, or if perhaps you're dealing with damp issues. Thank you, Oz Climate, for your support. Now, I have a great new sponsor that you guys might not have heard of yet. I happened to come across them myself recently online when I was, um, okay, I'm going to have to admit something here. I was researching chocolate (laughs) and I was just looking at what was out there, what was new, who was doing something interesting in performance chocolates. And if I could find a sugar-free chocolate, because I'm really trying to make sure that if I do have a hankering 
uh, between meals that I don't create an insulin spike unnecessarily. Uh, chocolate is a big go-to in my luteal phase. Anyone else out there in the ladies uh, might agree with me there. And this brand is something I came across. So Peak Chocolate, P-E-A-K, uh, and they call it Chocolate with Benefits. It's an Australian family business based right here in Sydney, and they're fledglings, so very, very new. Uh, and I've done the checks around uh, fair trade chocolate and making sure that all of that is A-OK. Uh, as you know, young brands, small startups often don't have the cash for lots of certification labeling on their products. So uh, you can rest assured that the due diligence has been done there. It's a really interesting brand. They use um, erythritol in the drinking chocolate, maltolol in the um, eating chocolate, and the recommendation is only one serve a day, and that's because you've got that alcohol sugar in there, maltolol, um, that can cause digestive disturbance if you go absolutely mental on the stuff. Um, and it's got a, especially the focus chocolate. It has got a gorgeous, creamy, velvety texture. I love the energy uh, chocolate. If I'm playing tennis in the mornings, I'll tend to have a serve of that. It's actually managed to get some protein in there. Um, and then the rest chocolate is your evening chocolate that helps you go to La La Land. And each type of chocolate actually has a performance benefit. So whether it's vitamins that have been added, um, for example, in rest, you've got a little bit of 5-HTP. Uh, so that tryptophan helps you head off to sleep. My son and I love the rest drinking chocolate. So I'm going to invite you to explore this beautiful brand at peakchocolate.com.au and you have 20% off for all first-time customers. Your code is LOWTOX20 and the website is peakchocolate.com.au. If you're wondering where to start, if you want to know what my favorite is, it's definitely the Focus, which has L-theanine and uh, L-tyrosine to help you feel clear, relaxed, present, and focused. Uh, and then the rest, drinking chocolate. Those are my two picks from the range, but you go ahead and discover what your favorites might be. I can't wait to see what you think. So thank you to our sponsors. And now it's time to talk about the pelvic floor and how today's show might be able to help you change whatever story you got going on, even if you might not even realize that it has to do with your pelvic floor. Enjoy. Hello, Danielle. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? So I glad am, to be here. Yeah, I'm great. And you know, I have wanted to do a show on pelvic floor health for a while. And then you just popped into my Instagram one day. I don't know whether it was like a recommended thing or a suggested, but I was like, oh my gosh, I found my person. You're so <laughs> good at what you do and so approachable. You know, sometimes, especially with more taboo topics, um, people can tend to feel like they um, shy away from even talking about having a problem, which I'm sure we're going to go into today. Um, but why the pelvic floor for you? There are so many body parts uh, you could help people with. What yes. drew you to that space? Yes. So in physical therapy school, I had an interest for pelvic floor. We had a really small section on pelvic floor education and that, you know, this is an area that you may be interested in as an option. 
And I had the opportunity my very last semester, we were given the opportunity to shadow in any setting we wanted after our required clinical rotations. And I said, you know what? I want to shadow someone in women's health. I'm just curious. And I absolutely loved it. But after graduating PT school, physical therapy school, I didn't actually pursue that area of specialty. So I worked in a hospital setting. I worked in an outpatient clinic. I did home health. I did all sorts of things. And then it wasn't until I worked at a hospital setting in which they had um, an outpatient clinic. And in that outpatient clinic, there was a therapist there that actually was very instrumental in my life when I was pregnant with my first child. I had a lot of you know, aches and pains and she was like, well, I'll help you. So she helped me out and she's like, you know what? You should consider this. I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, you know, I've had an interest for it but I've never pursued it after graduating from physical therapy school. And so I had the opportunity to not only shadow her, I was able to also cover for another coworker who um, had a maternity leave. And so I took some continuing education courses and began to just treat the men and women in, this, in the hospital there that had pelvic floor issues. And since then, I fell in love. So I have been there ever since. I've been a therapist for 12 years, but for the last seven years, I've been doing pelvic floor. Yeah. And it's one of those areas, right, where like if you've got a sore arm, a tennis elbow, or you need, you know, your shoulders constantly out, that's something very comfortable to talk about. But pelvic floor brings shame. It brings worry. It brings like the constant vigilance that something's going to go wrong that day. And you mentioned it, men and women, not just women. So can we just talk briefly about um, how many people are experiencing pelvic floor issues that may or may not know about it at this point in time and, and how it can look? Because it's obviously quite a broad range of um, hints that that might be yeah. the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there are statistically, I believe, like one in every four or five women experience some type of pelvic floor dysfunction. I don't have a, a great statistic on men, but it's something that I would say men don't even really want to talk about. So I feel like if I get the women in, they can kind of convince their man to come in. Um, so a lot of people experience pelvic floor issues, whether you've been pregnant or not pregnant, whether you're, you could be a teenager. I've seen teenage women before as well. And because it covers a range of issues from, you know, every time I laugh, I pee on myself or, you know, when I'm just sitting down because I sit down at my desk all day, I'm noticing this chronic pelvic pain, or maybe you are someone who has pain with intercourse. Um, you, you may not even have had children before, but it's just something you've dealt with for a very long time. Or for men, I, I oftentimes see in men they have this discomfort in their tailbone and they can't sit down. Maybe they're a biker and they notice that, you know, after months of biking, they have this tailbone discomfort. So a lot of people experience some form of pelvic floor dysfunction um, and they just don't really want to talk about it. It's embarrassing because it can even include constipation or fecal incontinence where some of the stool kind of seeps out. So it's a topic that's embarrassing. I mean, who 
really would say, oh, yeah, I want to talk about this thing. <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> not a coffee with a friend topic, is it? No, no, yeah. not at all. Not or a beer all. with a friend at the pub after work. Like I can yes. totally see the guys talking about it not. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's very common. Mm. And we have this shame about this issue because we think everything should be okay and is there really somewhere, are there really resources out there to address these issues? So it becomes very shameful yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think removing it, well, not removing it, expanding the understanding of pelvic floor discomfort and concerns beyond, oh, that's a pregnancy thing, or that's for chicks who've had babies. Uh, and really realizing, oh my gosh, I'm chronically constipated, or oh my gosh, my tailbone always hurts. That's you too. Yes, mm. absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Yeah. So can you talk us through a bit of a biology lesson? Like what is the pelvic floor? What, how is it built, constructed, and what parts of it go wrong uh, in terms of function that then go on to cause these issues? Sure, absolutely. So I like to start off by talking about like the pelvis and the pelvic cavity. And the pelvis, it basically sits in between our, our trunk or our torso and then our limbs. And in this space, in this pelvic space, I, I call it the pelvic cavity, sits muscles and organs. Um, it also um, consists of the bones that are responsible for the pelvic area. And so inside this pelvic cavity on the bottom or the basement of this pelvic cavity sits these muscles that are called our pelvic floor. And it helps to support our bladder. It helps to support our, um, for, men, for women, our uterus and our cervix. Um, for men, you know, they don't have that, but they have a bladder. It supports even part of our, our colon as well. So it consists of this space that holds together all these different structures um, that are responsible for one, aiding us in sexual pleasure um, for women holding a baby, if that is something that they, they do in life. Um, it also helps to maintain continence. So keeping us from peeing on ourselves or having a, an accident with stool. Mm. So that's what the pelvic floor is. It's just this bottom layer of muscles that support these internal organs inside our pelvic cavity. Right. So it's basically a really firm, good quality hammock. Yes, that's what it is. That's what it is. <laughs> cool. Okay. <laughs> so we don't want the, to be the person who gets into the hammock and the hammock hits the floor um, and we get hurt. Like this, this, right. this is for me is the analogy that's building in my mind. So um, we've obvious, we've got the obvious situation where carrying a baby for nine months is going to be something that could disturb the structure of this um, muscle uh, collection. What are some of the other things that people could be doing in their lives? You mentioned bikers. So are people who cycle a lot at more risk? Yeah. Um, so I would say yes. And that mm -hmm. depending on their bike, if they're positioned more forward, um, you can create some tension in the pelvic floor. It also alters the position of the tailbone as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'll have people that say, you know, I'm on the Peloton all the time. And after a few months, I notice I just can't sit there anymore. So there's a lot of things that, that, you know, play a role in terms of what would cause someone to experience pain. Uh, but 
when we are postured a certain way, it does shift our mechanics. And so it can affect our tailbone. It can affect us in terms of having more tension in certain areas of the pelvic floor. It affects our hip as well because the hips attach into the pelvis as well. There's a little socket called our acetabulum and that's what sits the head of our, um, our femur or our thigh bone. And so whenever we are positioned in certain ways, we can create different um, tension and um, stress to certain areas of the pelvic floor. So it's really important, like when patients come in, I do a postural assessment just to look at how are these things all playing together and how are they affecting the pelvic floor? Mm-hmm. Um, and posture, like, let's just do a recap. What, what should we be doing? Let's say you're a desk worker. Um, how do we protect our posture? Like, I feel like every time I talk to a show guest about posture and it comes up, I'm like, yep. Okay. Um, so you mentioned leaning forward being, um, potentially detrimental. Is that like chronically forward leaning? Like if I was at the computer looking like this? Yeah. If you're sitting Mm. forward, it can, it can alter the position of your tailbone. Um, So I recommend people to sit, think of like a 90-90. So where your hips are at 90 degrees, you kind of have this nice L shape um, where your knees are also at 90 degrees as well. And where your feet are flat on the floor. So you're not tippy-toed, your feet aren't dangling, but you have this nice support in which your, your torso is upright, your hips are at 90 degrees, your knees are are at 90 degrees as well, and your feet are supported on the floor. That's optimal posture. Um, If you're, you know, you have a computer in front of you, ideally it would be good for the computer to be um, eye level to where you're not, you know, your neck isn't straining forward or straining up because all these things can affect um, the tension in our neck and our back, which also affects our pelvic floor as well. So it's all connected. Yeah, big flow and effect, right? Yes, yes. And then and then some of the repetitive daily things that might happen that could also affect the pelvic floor depending on uh, like maybe carrying a baby on one hip or like what are some of the other things? Yeah, so you mentioned one, carrying the baby on one hip and kind of leaning to one side. I'll even talk about um, when you're having, when you're urinating or when you're voiding, are you uh, straining and just pushing and trying to get it out real quick because you're in a rush to, get back to work or get back to whatever task you're doing. When you are straining in the pelvic floor or straining to have a bowel movement or to urinate, it actually can cause those internal structures in the pelvic cavity to come down a little bit. And that can increase someone's risk for something called a prolapse. And a prolapse is where those internal structures just come down a little bit. And a lot of times people can feel this heaviness or pressure in their pelvic region. Um, For some women, they'll say, oh, I feel like something's falling out of my vagina. Um, And oftentimes, if you are straining chronically, it can predispose you to those types of things. So how you're using the restroom is very important. How you're, you know, carrying things and um, if it's a baby or maybe you have um, a work bag that you're, you're carrying, is it very heavy? Are you holding it on one side? Um, how are you engaging your core? Not that I'm a proponent of you got to suck your tummy in every day, all day. I don't preach that at all. But you want to make sure that when you are carrying, you're distributing the weight evenly and that you're not 
chronically, I would say, or constantly holding all weight onto one side because that can affect your pelvic floor as well. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And I'm just picturing my years in hospitality, like lifting cases (laughs) of booze up and just running upstairs and all the things that um, can maybe, you know, then you add on, it's probably like a bucket, right? You fill it up with habits that aren't ideal and then carrying a 4.2 kilo baby. That's the thing that makes you go, oh, please don't make me jump. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So the obvious uh, fix is um, giving it a workout, right? That that seems to me to be like a, a very proactive place we can all go to strengthen the region. Um, you know, you see all sorts of things on the internet these days, the, um, the things that you can insert into your vagina and like contract around and like, so doing a vagina workout, um, the blokes can't do that, obviously. So how does a guy strengthen their pelvic floor? Is that, I mean, obviously quite a different, um, story. What does PT for the pelvic floor look like for a guy? Yeah. So, I'll preface it with saying this. Sometimes, you know, I've had patients that come in and they say they're doing Kegels or they have the Kegel weights. Um, I assess, see how patients can do that. But oftentimes I tell patients, I don't want you to Kegel. Mm. You're overacting your pelvic floor. And that can be an issue. If there's too much tension going on in the pelvic floor, that can cause pain. That can put extra tension and and stress on the bladder, which can also increase someone's risk for urinary leakage or urinary frequency. So it's really important to get adequately assessed because strengthening is unfortunately not always the solution. Kegeling is not always the solution. I assess for it. But in fact, today I had a, a few patients that I were like, I need you to stop kegeling because that's what's causing the issue. Wow. Um, yeah. And absolutely. How, how can you physically, like, how can you tell? What does that consultation process look like to identify that? Yeah. So what I'll do, I start off with a, a external assessment to look at someone's alignment and then I'll actually do an internal assessment. So for women, I will test the muscles of the pelvic floor. I'll just palpate around and just see if I feel any areas that feel kind of tight. And I'll ask them, hey, do you feel any tension through this area? Does it hurt at all? And then after that, I'll see how they engage the pelvic floor. Um, When they do a pelvic floor squeeze or they do a, a Kegel, if you would, if that's what I'm assessing, how are they engaging all these muscles? Is it a big bulk of muscle that I feel this big tension that's going on when I have them contract or not? Um, And if it is, I'll say, hey, does that hurt at all? Do you feel any, you know, pain or discomfort when you do that? And sometimes they feel it, sometimes they don't. But if I can feel overtly a great amount of tension in the pelvic floor when I'm testing for their muscle strength, I'll say, you know what, we need to work on um, relaxing the pelvic floor, lengthening the muscles of the pelvic floor before we can adequately Um, support you with different exercises. So oftentimes I preach against doing a Kegel and I'll say, we need to relax you. Let's get you, let's downtrain you is is the more proper word. Mm -hmm. um, I think you've relieved, like pardon the pun, a whole bunch of women all over the world saying that because it just doesn't feel nice. I don't like them. I don't like doing them. Yes. Mm. Yes. And, and, And oftentimes we don't realize how much we activate our pelvic floor mm-hmm. with normal activity. Yeah. So 
the way I treat, you know, I like to assess for how someone does a Kegel, how they um, can contract those muscles. For some individuals, when they don't have any awareness at all of what their pelvic floor is doing, I'll give them a little exercise that'll teach them how to like bring that awareness to their pelvic floor and engage. But then after that, I, I kind of wean off of that. I don't just sit there and do Kegels all day on a table. We're going to get <laughs> you moving. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get you doing other activities that are going to help strengthen the pelvic floor automatically, as well as your core, work on your posture and do all these things as well. Mm-hmm. And so to answer your question with men, we actually, or I actually assess them through the rectum. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll do an internal exam through the rectum and I can test the pelvic floor muscles through the rectum, see how they engage, see how they relax um, and, and feel for those things. Is there any tension through that area and can adequately help men um, there as well? So sometimes um, we will do exercises to build that awareness up to their pelvic floor for men rectally, but oftentimes we're doing other things as well to help support the pelvic floor without feeling, oh, I have to Kegel all the time because sometimes mm. that is actually the culprit of the, of the issue. Yeah. Wow. So what does P person like training look like for our pelvic floor? Then if we're going to talk about some of the exercises we could all be doing to keep the area relaxed, to keep it lengthened. So lengthened means basically not like scrunching up into a big tight ball and causing pain issues, right? Right. Basically not like, for example, if you were to do a bicep curl and when you do the bicep curl, your, your bicep muscles shorten, they contract. When you kind of straighten out your arm, your muscle lengthens. And so we have, it's the same idea with the pelvic floor. So some things that we'll do is we'll work on diaphragmatic breathing. There's a huge correlation between how we breathe and what the pelvic floor does. So as we inhale naturally during the day, as we inhale, our diaphragm lowers down and so does our pelvic floor. As we exhale, our diaphragm lifts and so does our pelvic floor. So there's this natural physiological process that happens with our pelvic floor when we breathe adequately. So for some patients, I'll say, I want us to work on some really good techniques for diaphragmatic breathing, where you're not doing all this chest rising or abdominal pooching, but we have this beautiful uniform movement in which we're allowing the pelvic floor to lengthen and to retract just with our breath. So that's one thing that I do. Um, Another thing that I like to do is a happy baby pose. Uh, If someone does yoga, they are, you know, they're aware of what that is, but that's basically where you can lie on your back. You can bring your knees towards your chest, separate your knees out and just open up the pelvic floor. This allows for a lot of stretching and opening of the pelvic floor, which naturally will help lengthen it. And then some other things I like to do include like lunges and things that naturally will open up the hips and make it more relaxing for the patient um, in their pelvic floor. Um, Squats, deep squat stretching is another great way to help lengthen and open up the pelvic floor, as well as something that I call, I call it quadruped rocking. Some people call it that. And some people say, oh, it's it's child's pose. Uh Um, If you do yoga. Um, but anything to kind of help open up the pelvic floor so that it's not in the state of contracting. Mm-hmm. Those are things I like to do to help lengthen the pelvic floor. 
So good. And I think that really uh, just talking about this now, I feel like I understand it so much better in terms of beginner's mind, just taking things from the 80s and 90s and what you saw on the Oprah show kind of thing makes you think you need to be tightening and strengthening and like pulling it all in. And you're literally talking about the opposite to be true um, for most of us. So that in itself, and if you think about how stressed people are these days and nervous system tension and what that's then bringing to the pelvic floor region, it makes sense that there would be so many issues and we need to relax and lengthen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had several patients that I say, you know what, your pelvic floor is very tight, but it's also very weak. And so we need to work on lengthening the pelvic floor before we can strengthen the the pelvic floor, because it doesn't make sense to try to strengthen on top of this tight tissue. We're trying to strengthen, let's lengthen everything. Let's get you relaxed. And then we're going to adequately strengthen so that you're not dealing with some of these issues. Mm -hmm. And is that where Kegels can then play a role later down the track and the other exercises as well? Yeah, they can come in um, during that, during later on, um, if that's indicated. Um, But I like to do squats. I like to do um, things with the core. The the transverse abdominis muscle is one of our, it's a deep core muscle. It's like our inner corset. And naturally what happens is when we contract our transverse abdominis or our TA for short, it naturally contracts the pelvic floor. So Sometimes I'll just focus on some core stuff, have them engage their deep core muscles, and that'll strengthen the pelvic floor naturally. So there's so many things you can do. Um, You can do quick movements with your legs. If if someone has the ability to do those types of agile activities, depending on their coordination, we'll do some agility techniques. Um, We'll do some things on a therapy ball as well. Uh, You know, wall squats on a therapy ball. we could do things with the TheraBand where you, you know, wrap TheraBand around your legs and you're sidestepping. Um, there's so many different movements that naturally engage the pelvic floor. And so in some cases, if a Kegel is indicated, I'll teach you how to do a Kegel. But I also like to emphasize, hey, you know, naturally during the day, there's things that we do. Walking activates the pelvic floor, whether we realize that or not. And so I like to incorporate all of these things and really use a holistic approach when working with clients so that they understand where my pelvic floor is, what it means to engage it and how I can engage it with normal daily activities. Love it. And really, it just comes back to strength building, doesn't it? And really uh, being healthy and strong and vital. And that's the flow on effect is you feel better everywhere, including the pelvic floor. Absolutely. Absolutely. I so I yeah. feel like we've just stopped hundreds of thousands of people from rushing onto the <laughs> internet to buy jade eggs thinking that's yes. what I need to do to not pee anymore. Um, yes. Halfway through my walk. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. So good. Yes. yes. So I'm thinking about, I mean, I guess because I just mentioned stress and, um, and we've talked about tightness a couple of times Um, trauma, obviously people who have been through really tough stuff, it sounds like to me, 
you know, people with chronic illnesses, uh, people who have had really tough things happen in their lives. Maybe you just got fired and you're really just not having a great mental health time right now. Um, do you see a lot of those people in clinic? Absolutely. Yeah. I do. I do. Mm-hmm. So I refer them to counseling um, because that's not my expertise. You know, I can give a little advice, but I say, you know what, you need to see a specialist for this. And so I'll refer to counseling, but there is a strong correlation between trauma and the pelvic floor. Um, In fact, uh, we're doing an event soon to talk about these things, to open up the conversation about trauma and shame and pelvic floor. Um, I have a couple of patients that, you know, ask, you know, hey, when did your pain with intercourse start? you know, when did it start? And they say, I had a really traumatic event in my life. And this is what's causing me to have some of these issues. And so we will send them to mental health to get some help there. And I realized that after working through the trauma, it also shows up in the pelvic floor and that they're more relaxed and that they're able to resume intercourse or have intercourse for the first time. And so Trauma could be a sexual trauma. It could also be something that maybe you were told all your life and being, you know, a teenager, this is what you were told. Um, And this was very traumatic for you to hear those things. And that affects how you're able to, you know, have intercourse or not be able to tolerate intercourse. And so when dealing with the trauma, we will see a a, a drastic improvement in the pelvic floor because the mental health has been addressed and people are able to, to deal with that effectively through, um, through pelvic floor. So it's a, there's a big correlation between both. And I think it's very important when someone does go to see a pelvic floor physical therapist that they are trauma-informed, that you know when you come in, it's not just can you Kegel or not, because that's not all it is. It's taking into account the person as a whole, as a a whole human being that has previous life experiences, that has had challenges in the past, that you can say, you know what, I think this plays a role in how you're presenting. And so I want you to get supported here as well. Yeah, that's why functional functional medicine is so important, right? Like my yeah. holistic dentist says, there's a whole body attached to this mouth. Let's talk about everything. <laughs> and it's the yes. same, like there's a whole body attached to this pelvic floor and mind. Let's talk yeah. about everything. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So I'm going to share that my worst time of needing to pee um, or accidentally little bit peeing was definitely um, when I had SIRS, so chronic inflammatory response syndrome. For anyone who doesn't know it, I've got stacks of resources on the website. I'll put a link um, to the aggregated post I did where you've got all the links um, in the show notes. And when you have SIRS, one of the, the, um, the markers that goes way out is your ADH, so antidiuretic hormone. Um, and, I mean, I was up peeing like four times a night. That was pretty average. And uh, I couldn't get through an hour of exercise or go for a simple walk or sneeze or jump or anything like without needing to pee or accidentally peeing. And something I noticed was not only... Um, because we couldn't move out straight away. But one of the things I started to address was uh, lymphatic health and hydration. And just by adding in electrolytes and properly hydrating, 
uh, because obviously very severely dehydrated when your ADH is out with mold um, and therefore you want to drink more, but you kind of puff up instead of hydrating. Like you just look like this little puffer fish and you're peeing all the time. It's awful. (laughs) And I've spoken to women about this and I've said, have you tried electrolytes? And Mm -hmm. people start to slow down that need to pee or the accidental pees a lot. Can you explain why? Um, is is, Is it just that true hydration is key and that we just need to focus on maybe adding a pinch of salt or some electrolytes because that might be missing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you're not adequately hydrated, um, what it does to the, the urine in the bladder, it makes it more concentrated. And so it gives people this feeling for having to pee all the time because you have this concentration of urine that doesn't have the adequate electrolytes in there. And so adding electrolytes in, making sure that you're adequately hydrated will help change the pH and concentration of the urine that's in the bladder, which will actually decrease your need for, oh my gosh, I have to go all the time. And so it's so important that we are consuming the adequate amounts of electrolytes and and fluids so that we don't have that issue of the frequency and the urgency or the urgent continence when you're on your way to the bathroom because you really have to go, you end up peeing on yourself. So it does change when we are not adequately hydrated, the, the actual urine in the bladder. And through implementing those things, it can definitely change the pH, change the concentration which will not make you have that urgency to have to, to use the restroom. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Um, okay. So I want to ask a question about age and stage of life um, yeah. because obviously muscular health, unless we're really proactive on it, that can decline as we get older. So is the looking after your pelvic floor a different um blueprint, if you like, for a younger person versus an older person and physiologically for a man versus a woman? Are there differences that you notice or have end up having to prescribe? Sure. So I've seen women in their 90s for pelvic floor therapy that have been able to actually show change and progress with pelvic health. But one of the things that I, I don't like to ignore is that as we age, our, our hormones change. Um, estrogen being one of them. It's so important for our tensile strength and it gives us this, um, you know, hourglass figure for women. And it's very important in helping to give us this integral structure of our, our musculoskeletal system. And so as we age and as hormones change, it can affect what happens in our pelvic floor because we just don't have as much strength. So I will see a difference in women that are older, um, especially after they've hit menopause, that dip in estrogen really changes their ability to one, tolerate intercourse without pain because you just, the tissues are more dry and they're more atrophied. And so it feels a little bit more, it feels a lot more uncomfortable. You don't have that lubricant that you had before. Um, and then it also just affects the structure of the muscles of the pelvic floor to help support the bladder and those other internal organs that we um, talked about a little bit earlier. And so I will notice a difference with women that are menopausal and beyond. Um, but I will say too, for women that are younger, that are, you know, are cycling women, 
if, for example, they have had a baby and they're breastfeeding, they can show up similarly to women that are in menopause because breastfeeding actually decreases our estrogen levels. So a lot of times women will have pain with intercourse or they'll notice themselves experience more urinary leakage. And it's because of the change in those hormones with breastfeeding. So there's a, there's a similarity between, you know, a 30 year old woman who's breastfeeding and a 90 year old woman who, you know, has been in menopause for years, not that they'll present exactly the same, but there's a little bit of a correlation in terms of symptoms and and how they're presenting. So with someone who's not breastfeeding and who, you know, never had a baby and who's in their their 20s or 30s, they may experience some urinary incontinence just because they just have weakness there for whatever reason. And so it will be different. You know, their return to function will be a lot faster than a 90-year-old because of those changes in hormones in our musculoskeletal system. And I would say same thing for men. Sometimes I I like to look at, you know, what is someone experiencing when they're in their health? Are they a diabetic in their, in their 60, a six-year-old male versus a 25-year-old male who's not diabetic? You know, frequency of urination is very common for diabetics. And so we'll look to help support um, their health through their diabetes. Obviously they have to go to their doctor to, you know, manage medications, but can we change diet? Can we focus on exercise and things like that to also help support their chronic health issue as well as their pelvic floor? So it does change um, as we age. um, And we, we need to take into consideration what medical problems is the person having and how is that affecting their pelvic floor? Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe we don't say to the, the ladies who are of a mature stage, is your vagina atrophied? Is that what we're dealing with? (laughs) It's like the least sexy thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, too funny. Um, honey. So she said, I (laughs) know. Right, right. You're a little atrophy there. Uh, that's the problem. <laughs> oh my gosh, you got to laugh about getting older, otherwise you cry. There's so many good things, so we'll focus on those. Um, okay, so you mentioned diabetes and you mentioned diet, and I think because diabetes is such a huge issue, uh, you know, it's not just an American problem. It's a big problem here as well. It's a big problem in the countries that have this 60% ultra processed food shopping basket situation, Australia, England, New Zealand, America, um, terrible stuff. So in clinic and knowing that a lot of people don't have that nutrition conversation with their doctors, they have the medication conversation, which of course is life-saving as well. So it is not to discount that. When the diet changes, what is the way that you're guiding people through that journey? Yeah, so I'll actually have patients do a bladder diary. Um, I call it a bladder bowel diary. Diary, And so they will document what they're eating. I say do it for a course of three days. I want you to be very detailed. Write down what you're eating for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, what you're drinking. And then I want you to bring it into your next appointment. And we're going to look at it together. And we're going to try to identify trends that are in your diet that we can address and support. 
And so some clients I'll notice, you know, they're having lots of breads and juices and sodas and caffeinated drinks. And I'm not really seeing a lot of whole foods. I don't see fruits and vegetables and um, more of that nutritious food. And so we'll talk about that through their diet. I'll say, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to think of, let's talk about some foods that you, you, you enjoy that are like vegetables and fruits. What kind of vegetables and fruits do you like? Um, and, and maybe why is it something that is not incorporated in your diet as we see here on the bladder diary? Is it because of, you know, time constraints? Is it because I don't really know how to cook it? Yeah, you know, so many people, right? The vocab isn't yeah. there for cooking. And you're like, yeah. oh, wow. And that's shameful and embarrassing. So you don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So we'll try to, you know, I have little um, recipe guides that I'll send some patients. And I'll say, you know, I don't want you to, to stress about it, but I want you to think of some things that you can implement that are going to help you with your diet. You know, for example, it could be, you know, with, with broccoli, for example, very good vegetable. And we can make it so easy by just boiling some water, cutting up the, if the broccoli is not already cut up in little broccoli florets, I guess what they call it, the little pieces, broccolinis. I can't, I think that's the way it is. Anyway, um, you can just boil some water, clean out, clean the, the broccoli, put it in the pot for like five minutes and take it out and you're done and you have some crunchy steamy broccoli. So it doesn't have to be this excessive, long, drawn out, you know, two hour cooking show every night, but there's some things that you can do. You can put them in the oven and, and roast it, put it on broil, low broil for 20 minutes, sprinkle some, some fresh seasoning and herbs and spices on it. That won't take you very long. And you've got some vegetables inside your diet. And so I'll talk about those types of things with patients in ways they can easily implement some diet changes without overly stressing them. Because if I overly stress them about, okay, you got to change X, Y, and Z, um, they'll feel overwhelmed and they won't feel like they can do it. But if we could do simple steps, maybe replacing the, you know, sweetened juice with some more water in your diet that's going to be very helpful. So just finding ways to meet patients where they're at and making subtle changes that they'll begin to feel better. And they'll begin to say, you know what? I like this. Let's, um, let me see how I can implement more of a change in my lifestyle to help support my chronic issue of, for example, diabetes. So that's what I do with clients, looking at what they do in their life and finding ways to help make those, those changes inside their diet that will be beneficial for their, their life, their health, and, and even for their pelvic floor. Mm, brilliant. Um, yeah, I think that it is amazing to me as someone who helps people cook um, and, and replace those ultra-processed foods, how so much of the resistance is actually around just feeling like you're not good at it. And therefore, you have to rely on industry and prepackaged stuff. Um, and when you break it down and people start to actually feel some agency, it can be a really exciting discovery journey instead of a like shameful, put it away, I'll just buy everything in because I don't know how to deal with that. And you say, you know, if you love meat, great, but let's just stay away from the prepackaged frozen burger 
and get a piece of steak and then have your veggies. And, um, and I think we've been taught, haven't we, to think that we aren't good at this or that it's beneath us because we're busy modern professionals now. And actually the biological component cannot be ignored any longer that we need nourishing food to thrive. It can't be ignored. I mean, look at the disaster around us. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So crucial. And so pregnant women and people who've just given birth are to me this the, the biggest group of people who have awareness around pelvic floor and have like a very immediate need to sort things out um, yes. because of what they've just uh, put their bodies through. Thank gosh. Um, and hopefully we get the cute baby at the end because that makes it all worth it. Um, <laughs> uh, and um I'm just wondering if you can give some of your top like pregnant woman rolls into your room, like what are the first things that we say, okay, here's where we're going to start. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of uh, pregnant women that come in, their symptoms range from, you know, I don't feel like it's so painful for me to have sex and it wasn't like that before I had a baby. Can you help me? Cause it's really affecting my relationship. And so I really empathize with, with the women because I don't feel like as women, we're really prepared for after having a baby on, on what to expect. It's just oh, kind of something gosh, right? into. <laughs> <laughs> I know we spent, I remember my midwife said, so yeah, like it's great that you guys are focusing on the birth, but can we just remember there's going to be this tiny human that is going to rely on you for everything once you get home. So it's a good idea to start reading about that too. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And it's just like, Oh, this is what they're talking about, you Mm -hmm. know, and you're just surprised in terms of all the things that are new and that have changed that are different. Your body doesn't feel the same. And so um, a lot of women that, come in, they'll say, I, I can't have sex. It, it's just really painful now. And so we'll talk about their birth experience. Maybe they had a very traumatic birth and there's been some trauma to the pelvic floor. And so I work with them to help reduce, for example, if they have scar tissue from tearing, we need to work through that scar tissue to reduce any tension or pain that that's causing and go through some maybe deep breathing and stretching exercises just to relax. Because if you're stressed and you're very tense, you can carry that in your pelvic floor. So that's something that we talk about all the time, um, how to just get into this place of relaxation and mindfulness, despite all the things that you have to do as a new mom. So we'll talk through that. Um, We'll also talk through um, nutrition. Are you getting, you know, are you eating enough throughout the day? Are you drinking adequate amounts of water? Um, and these are simple things that, we, you know, you, you do every day, but simple things that can also be extremely helpful in getting a, a mom back to being able to have intercourse again. Um, and so having the conversation on, you know, what you're doing throughout the day, ways to help the pelvic floor with the breathing, um, with the stretching out is very instrumental in helping a mom. For some moms, it's, I'm peeing on myself now. I never had that issue before. And so now we assess the pelvic floor. If there's been 
a lot of weakness there as a result, as a result from their baby that they were carrying all these months. Then we work on strengthening the pelvic floor, how to engage the core again, how to engage the pelvic floor. And so we take it step by step. I always leave them with just a few things to start with when they leave the office on the first day. And then from there, we build up on every visit that they come in. So we start with lifestyle, a few things that they can implement on day one and that they continue throughout the week. And then when they come in, we build on top of that. For me as a clinician, the the biggest thing that I feel is so important when anyone comes in, if you're a mom that just had a baby or not, I really work to establish a, a strong rapport with my clients and to really make them feel heard. Because if you can listen to them, sometimes that's all we need is someone to really listen to us. I mean, I can count. I can't even count. There's been countless times where women will come in and they say, my doctor said everything was fine, but I don't feel good. And I, I told them that I'm having pain with sex and they're like, oh, it'll go away. It'll be, it'll be fine. And it hasn't, it's been nine months. And for them to come in and spend close to an hour and a half with me, where we will just talk through all the things that they're experiencing and just listening to them, that is extremely helpful in the healing process and the ah. journey of getting back to recovery. Well, and if we think back to that nervous system and the tension and the stress, and if someone just feels heard and seen, that in itself becomes a more relaxing place from which to move on and yes. um, and can decrease pain. We know that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Powerful stuff. Okay. Yeah. So as we wrap up, I'm thinking all sorts of ages, 140 countries, people tuning in from every age and stage and place. What are the best couple of things you can give us as a bit of a, this week, your mission is to do these two things to support the health of your pelvic floor. What would they be? Yeah. So one thing I will mention is do not, uh, there's a, there's a little phrase I had and I just lost it, but yeah, I'll say, okay. I'll say when you are either urinating or having a bowel movement, relax yourself on the toilet. Do not um, squat and flee. You know, you want to be able to fully relax. Um, the reason for that is because when you urinate and when you void um, the urine, your pelvic floor needs to be completely relaxed. If you're squatting and you're tense and you're trying to rush to get it out the way, you're not going to fully empty. And that's going to cause you to go back to the bathroom right away and can cause leakage because you still have, you know, urine in there. So one huge thing, when you are urinating or when you're having a bowel movement, just relax, don't rush, don't stress, let it naturally happen. That is going to be very helpful in the strength of your pelvic floor. So fully relax. The second thing I'll say is do not strain. If you feel you're not able to empty the bladder or the, the stool, my encouragement would be to take some deep breaths, do some diaphragmatic breathing while you're on the toilet and allow yourself to fully relax so that you can empty the urine and so that you can evacuate. 
if you're having a bowel movement, I even encourage people to use something like a squatty potty or a little step stool um, because that helps to um, help. It aids the stool in coming out much easier so that you don't have to strain. So relaxing while you're using the restroom is very important in the health of your pelvic floor. Yeah, so don't squat, don't rush, relax, and then drink adequate amounts of water. You know, get that inside your diet. Again, like we talked about earlier, if you are restricting yourself from drinking because you're afraid of going to the bathroom more frequently, that's gonna only exacerbate the problem. So you wanna make sure you're drinking adequate amounts of fluid that is going to change the concentration and pH of your urine, which will decrease your need to have to go to the bathroom a lot. And it'll also help with aiding you to have nice formed stool when you have a bowel movement so that you don't have these little pellets that you're trying to push out. You have this nice form stool because you're adequately hydrated. I love it. We finished with poop. Fantastic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is so great, uh, Danielle. And I feel like you turned a couple of key misnomers on their head uh, in terms of people actually making progress and and experiencing pelvic floor health. So I really appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, you. I've and will send everybody to watch your super generous uh, and fantastically entertaining Insta <laughs> um, stories and and reels that you do because. You know, if we make these topics that have been traditionally shameful and taboo a little fun and, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing to talk to, but let's laugh through it, then we can actually get somewhere, right? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at LotoxLife or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at LotoxLife and of course, LotoxLife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.